Pod. Pod. This is Have a Check Stole the Pod. Bobby Manning. Alex Kungu's by my side. You can't see him, but take my word for it. He's there. Alex, good morning. Good morning to you. How was the game? I got up early and watched it at 8.30 like I have the last two. This was really exciting for me. Now, I'm going to start it off with this. I had a couple of things I want to hit off on before we get to our topic here. Josh, I believe, sent me a bunch of questions for the Hoop magazine before the season. A lot of it was like NBA stuff. Some of it was FIBA focused. And the big FIBA one was, do you like FIBA basketball more or international basketball in general? Or do you like the college game now at this point? And I had to think because I think for basketball fans, this FIBA tournament has done a lot. Like, at least on Twitter, I see a lot of people actively engage with this. Maybe it's just because it's a stinky time of year and there's nothing going on. But it's moved the needle a little bit for basketball fans. Me and you have been watching quite a bit. I see people throwing up videos. And everyone wants to know at least how their players are doing over there. Yeah, and I think the other thing is that it brings all these different countries together. So not just from an NBA perspective. It's also, you know, country pride. There's a lot of people from you know, Greece, Australia, Russia, who love the NBA, and they also love their team. So, like, they want to come in and support their team wherever they can. And then also, like you said, they are checking in on their varying international players. Uh, This is the most NBA players I think this FIBA tournament has had, which is surprising. They have about 54 NBA players. So there's a lot to engage with. And in a time like this where we're stuck with, you know, Carmelo Anthony highlights, it's good to actually watch a couple of games. I, I went with NCAA still, though, because this, between the players dropping out, USA built, like, just a scrap heap of a team, and there's still really only being five, six teams, maybe, that could win this. I mean, I'll count them right now. France, Australia, USA. I'll throw Greece in there, but their game against Brazil made me a little more hesitant on that end. Who else could I throw in there? Serbia, certainly. So there's five. There's just not a lot. And NCAA, there's usually a handful of favorites. But it's still that wide-open tournament at the end of the year where the favorites get knocked out round two sometimes. Yeah, I mean, for me personally, I'd go with FIBA. I, I, just, like the, I, just, like the, I just like the professional feel. Um, I like the physicality. I love that the big man is not dead in this game. I love that a lot of teams have like these these passing up bigs that you could tell and like in an NBA context they would not be able to get up and down the floor, but here they are like kind of lumbering up, starting plays, like leading, giving goals, dribble handoffs. It's it's a very like cerebral game, and there's a lot of really smart professional players. And like I just love watching that quality of basketball. Like some of the non USA games have been the best of the tournament. The international game is definitely interesting, and I look at that game against Australia where they were able to just scrap together the the crash-the-board approach, heavy, heavy pick-and-roll with the two bigs, Andrew Bogut, uh, Aaron Baines. They pretty much rode that to a victory over Team USA, and there's been so much said about USA, especially now after this Turkey game. Like It was just so funny after that Turkey game not only to see coverage of a game, like the same day as a game happens. We're just not used to that with a game happening in the morning here. And then everybody caring about USA all of a sudden because they have a chance to lose. And that's another interesting part of this is that the Americans, they haven't lost yet in a real game, 
but I think everybody's looking at it right now, not only saying they can lose, I think a lot of people are feeling like they will lose. I feel that way, certainly. Whenever you come out really like that by like the skin of your teeth against a team that you know no one was really expecting, it definitely unsettles you and it definitely unsettles your perceptions of how you thought America would progress this tournament. I'm sure those even people who were low on them but thought, hey, this isn't really a problem until Serbia that saw this game and said, oh my God, like, forget about Serbia. Like, are we ever going to be able to get by some of these, like, second, third, fourth best teams if we're, if we're matched up with them? I'm sure there's a lot of people even today that, you know, would think that on Saturday, like, USA could really lose to Greece. And this is a Greece team that, you know, had had, had trouble beating teams like New Zealand and now um, Brazil and things like that. So, yeah, it's definitely, it definitely has added, like, an intrigue level to the tournament now that, there is not this kind of cakewalk, aside from this game uh, against Japan, there's not this cakewalk of a style that these USA games take where whenever they play anyone of quality, it's literally, it could be anyone's game. I was just watching some soccer qualifiers out there for some tournament in Europe, and I'm not an expert on the soccer game, but there's a similar process here where this was preceded by some qualifiers for a couple of years, this is now a qualifying tournament for the Olympics. And basketball for some time has been trying to generate this soccer-like international community. And there certainly is one with a guy like Shetty Osman being able to compete in the NBA. And then against the USA, you see DeMontis Sabonis doing the same with Lithuania winning games for them. Giannis, I think, is the number one guy. Like he could change. He's the best player in this tournament playing for Greece. They've tried to change this into this soccer-like world event. And don't quote me, I just heard that the World Cup is what they want to be, that big, big tournament. Not even the Olympics, because come Olympic time, it's really just USA rolling over everybody. They want this FIBA tournament to be the basketball event internationally. And they've made some steps here. It's just... It doesn't feel very complete because you have games going on at 4.30 a.m. USA time. You have the USA not throwing its complete product out there. Maybe that's better for this. Maybe it isn't. It doesn't feel like the tournament. It still feels like, especially the way the system's built, that they're building this up toward the Olympics, which is going to be the big thing. Them building it up to the Olympics also has kind of affected the product they can put on the floor because of the timing of it basically happening this summer before the Olympics, it does make a lot of professional players uh, skittish on whether they should play or not. And I know that that went into a lot of guys' decisions, like Damian Lillard. Um, the time of year, too. Yeah, because then it's like you basically use this summer, the rest of the summer, to do FIBA. And then, you know, like some of these guys are on playoff teams. So you go through 82, you go through a deep playoff stretch, and then now again you're playing the summer back-to-back. So to them, it's, you know, like, it takes a lot. It's a big sacrifice. And I think part of them trying to make it, like, this, like, stepping scale to the Olympics comes at the cost of maybe not every team putting out their best product on the floor. But I am interested to see how it looks internationally because I know as Americans, you know, it's the middle of the week. It's 830. It's hard to sit down and, like, watch a game. But I do, I do want to know how it feels like for maybe the people in China, Japan, Europe who are maybe like actually getting games and seeing NBA players for like the first time at like actual times that we're used to watching NBA games. And I want to know, is that piquing any interest? Um, are those are those fans more engaged and things like that? Because I think that's where the real growth can probably come from 
and growing the basketball game. It's prime time over there. I don't know what the TV dynamics like over there. I don't know how their ratings are. We might be able to get someone on Skype for that. I'm just looking at the way this is structured. I, I found this very interesting from a USA perspective because we know that they didn't have to put their best out here to be competitive in this one. So I look back at the qualification uh, system because I was watching that soccer game. I'm like, all right, you know, soccer season's going on. These teams don't really have to throw their best out there to qualify. I wonder what the USA threw out there to qualify for this thing. And I'm going through the list of these games that happened during the NBA season in 2018-19. I wonder how many of these leading scorers for the U.S. you recognize Frank Mason was one of them. We have against Panama a man named Reggie Hearn who plays in the G League. We have against Argentina, which is a game that the U.S. lost. They went 10 and 2 in this qualification process. They lost to Argentina, and their leading score was. Travis Triss. So that's how deep they went in this thing. We think they gutted this roster for this tournament. The qualification process, they were throwing out Travis Triss, Frank Mason, and another man I have just not heard of. G League players, frankly. And those were some of the guys that made up the scrimmage team, the one that beat them and got everyone up in arms a few weeks ago. So... You know, they did, they did come together under, under Jeff Van Gundy. So a lot of people interested in this team because of their Celtics semblance. They've had their issues. They've had quite a number of lapses on the defensive end. I think the biggest reason that these teams, whether it be Australia or Turkey, are sticking with them is that they're able to take advantage of this team in the pick and roll. They're able to hit them inside. But I don't think Miles Turner's been all that impressive. I know he has to cover up a lot for them but they've had a lot of issues in the back end rebounding second chance points and i look at it and i say how much of this could we project under the celtics i call these the usa celtics because it just looks so much like what the celtics are going to look like there is some truth to that but just not in the overarching theme so i don't know how much it matters about the team being unable to defend pick and rolls if you know, a big part of that is not always Celtics-based. It's, you know, like it's Donovan Mitchell making a bad read or it's Chris Middleton falling asleep on a weak side. Um, oh, you're blaming but, the like, other that players. Has, <laughs> that has, that, 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 yeah, I mean, it's, I'm not saying Celtics don't make mistakes. I'm just saying that a lot of their mistakes that are team-wide are not fully on the Celtics. Like, for one, we should just start off with the fact that Samarn and Jalen Brown have been very inconsistent and not haven't played much to begin with. Um, that's, that's one thing like before Jalen Brown's 20 point game today, he had only scored three points in the previous two games and played six minutes against Turkey. Um, smart didn't play the last game. And then before that he played 11 minutes against Turkey. So for one, these guys aren't playing big roles and they're not really playing the roles that they want that they're, that you can see them in Boston. Like for example, Jalen Brown, there's been a lot of talk about him potentially being a small ball four, you know, playing that lineup now that, you know, like the Celtics are having moving pace in the front court. But the thing about it is um, he's like, he's 6'5", he's 6'6". Even if he can handle the man in a one-on-one matchup, like fouling on the block, 
they're still rebounding. They're still kind of helps that defense, still rim protection. That requires like this length that he just doesn't have. So I'm not really sure how much of that we're actually going to see. And because so many teams are playing zone, you're not seeing a lot of him being used as a roller. So you're not seeing him scream for anybody, trying to do pick and pops. Those are things that I can imagine if the Celtics use him in that role, you'd see a lot of in the NBA, but that's just not happening. Um, some of the things I think you can take away is or how, how, how is Kemba looking, handling the point guard position? Is he sharing the ball? Um, is he just kind of like looking for his? How is he balancing, getting everyone involved? And so far, you know, he's led the team in assists. Um, he's been more than willing to skip the ball around. He had eight, he had eight today. He had six against Turkey, um, four or five in the, in the first game. He's been moving the ball. He's been okay. Like taking a back seat and letting a lot of these other guys score. That's the thing that's important because as we know, during last year, Kyrie not being able to kind of do that in a way that made everyone happy. And then him also getting frustrated. That was a big cause, like just not being able to share, um, guys not liking the fact that he was the main scorer and things of that nature. Um, you see things from Tatum eradicating. For the most part, he hasn't really taken any mid-range shots during the exit during like the, the first round, the, during his first two games. He's taking a lot of threes. We're seeing really interesting things from him kind of coming up the ball, being able to handle PNR stuff in a way that we haven't really seen in Boston. He's rebounding in a way that, you know, we haven't really seen much. He's also getting on the defensive end. Yeah, he's averaging 1.5 blocks. He's averaging a steal a game. Like, he's there. His activity is active. And there's a reason why, even even in that Turkey game, the two players that played the most were Coach Popovich, were Kemba Walker, Jason Tatum. Each of them played over 30 minutes. No one else did at all. A big reason for that is because they're, they're, the, they're the two players that have, above all the rest, have stuck, have stuck to the system, have moved the ball well, had been in the right places defensively, even if they didn't ultimately make the right play. And I think that's a really welcome sign if you're a Celtics fan to see some of the guys that you expect to be your maybe your two best players looking like the two best players in this um, tournament for the, from for the team. T- from Tatum, I've seen what I've seen from him since his prospect days in Duke. He was really a sensational second-level passer at Duke. I broke into the film room. You know, you've been doing a lot of film. Max has been doing a lot of film on this tournament. And you see um, awesome stuff from Tatum in that second level of the attack, whether it's transition, whether he's being passed into the drive. He's able to find guys underneath the defense. He's able to kick out for another round of drives. Those are things that he did so well at Duke. Probably not a big surprise to see him do this against zones, especially in that Turkey game. He missed the Japan game. And he did shoot 3-for-11 in the Turkey one. Had the nice draw to save the game when it was just a complete trash wreck dumpster fire on offensive end those last few possessions against Turkey. He pretty much bailed them out with that last-second heave. I guess you could hand it to Seti Osman. My concern, and this is why I project to the Celtics, lots of wings here, lots of guys on the ball. Tatum's looked great when he's gotten that chance on the ball. But the Celtics are going to be back again this year. Three heavy rotation wings with Smart. They're going to need Smart out there to steal out defensive issues, just like this USA team has had to when they've used Smart. And I don't want Tatum as an offensive player, as a shot taker, to get lost in the shuffle some nights, to just be on the outside heaving threes, to get taken out of the action a little bit on that end. He did shoot three for 11 against Turkey, being a spot-up guy, attacking the rim a little more than what we've seen from him in the past, but just not finding his place as a scorer 
This is why I still don't think Tatum's going to score upwards of 20 points a game next year is because we don't know where the opportunities are going to come to him on any given night. Part of that's the system, but part of that's him growing as an NBA player still. There's definitely moments where I see him thriving in the post. There's moments where he's that great in-between guy. And then he had a 40% stretch his rookie year of three-point shooting. I just wonder what's going to be something that he leans on to get his points night in and night out. I agree in part. Um, I think the 20-point-per-game thing is it's attainable, but I also wouldn't bank on it. And I also don't think we need to see him score exactly 20 points or more for us to feel like he improved. He averaged 16 last year. Um, if that 16 becomes, <clears throat> say, 18, 19 points a game, but we're seeing less mid-range, more three-pointers, more even playmaking for others, um, rebounding better, and all those surrounding stats get better, he gets his percentages back up to a decent place where he's maybe flirting around like, you know, 40% from three, 50% from the field around there. And he continues to continue his, um, you know, like good free throw shooting that he start he's came in with and gone all the way. That's something still, he has big yeah, time on Brown. <laughs> there's still a way. Yeah. There's still a way that he could still be like this all-star player that we want to see without it necessarily coming within the 22, 23 points a game. But I really do think this FIBA tournament is kind of, shown people that Tatum's value is not exactly projected based on just his ability to score in ISO situations. Like, he does play defense. He does create and add value to the game in different ways. And it was a big part of, despite the, it was a big part of why last year, despite the fact that he didn't necessarily have the leap that we expected, and some people would even call it a down year, he was still one of the best in terms of net positives on the team. Because he did all the other little things that make a player a valuable contributor on the court. And I think he's showing that a lot in Team USA, where even the fact that he's not shooting a high percentage right now, he's, it's multi, he's still taking the right shots. He's still, he's, he's still getting to the lane. He's into free throws more times than ever. It's simply in terms of, you know, good process, bad results for you right now. And I think if, that, if those shooting numbers, taking the same exact shots, he just shot better, we'd honestly be talking about him as looking like the best player on the court right now. It, that's really, for me, is the difference. It's, it's high-variant situations. Those three-point shots, they come from, they go for him. The stuff you can bank on is the driving. I love seeing him roll the rim. I love seeing him at the free-throw line. A question I have for Kemba. This one's going to be tougher for you to counter. They have really leaned on Kemba from a usage standpoint from putting him in the pick and roll to having him take the big shots for this team. Everything they do is centered around Kemba to some degree. Even trying to get him off ball a little bit, which hasn't worked as well. The Celtics are going to lean on him in a similar way. If I know Brad Stevens, I've watched Isaiah Thomas, I've watched Kyrie Irving. He is doing everything through his point guards. So that's going to be great for Kemba. I know he can handle it. I know he's that caliber of a player. Even defensively, I think he's been better than anyone could have imagined in this tournament. Really fronting these guards with great energy, consistency out there. When you're leaning on a player to that degree, when he's your most consistent piece, what falls to the wings? Especially when Gordon Hayward is going to be the primary ball handler among that crew. So they're going to need him quite a bit out there to be that secondary guy who gives Kemba a little bit of a break. That's where I'm still a little hesitant to say Brown's going to take a leap this year. Tatum's going to take a leap this year because I think some of that consistent opportunity gets pulled away by Kemba being the guy who actually has to go out and win them games. Honestly, when it comes to creating and things of that nature, I actually think the big theme is going to be going Hayward. And I actually think that 
Al, one of the few, few positives of Al Horford leaving is that it forces Brad Stevens to start putting more of his offense in the hands of his wings, a position that they were very deep at and did not utilize anywhere near the anywhere near like the potential it had. So now what I think we'll see more is maybe Gordon Hayward being used in that Al Horford role where he's kind of the passing hub. Maybe he's a small ball four. He starts off, he's the one setting screens for Kemba sometimes, and he's the one taking the ball, making decisions, and, and things of that nature. And I think now um, that third spot is going to be interesting because Gordon Hayward at his heart has always been a passer. Even in Utah's best year, the year before he came to Boston, he didn't close games for the Jazz in the playoffs. That was Joe Johnson. So I think there's kind of like a recipe there already that they can follow with maybe like Gordon Hayward being like that second passing hub, getting his 15, 17 points with his assist in there, with Kemba being the closer. And then from there, that third piece, that other guy who could take the jump and do that, I think that's where Tatum slips in as maybe the guy that's not going to necessarily get all the touches and things of that nature, but he's going to get a lot of opportunities just because of the attention that Kemba takes the passing ability of Gordon Hayward, and then it's going to be that there's someone else there to then kind of kind of be that big three in a way. But when you start talking about other guys like Jalen Brown, um, Marcus Smart, Romeo Langford, even things like that, I think they have to buy into a role that has them with less ball handling opportunities and more of spot up and closing out. Will they accept that? That's, a, that's another interesting question that we'll find out this season. And Greg Popovich has been unabashed in his usage of Derek White, him making the roster the way he did. I'm not even going to blast him. You want to develop your Spurs on Team USA? Go do it. That's what you get as head coach over there. Brad Stevens was there. Maybe we even get, I don't know, Tremont Waters on this team. <laughs> Grant Williams, they could use some for help. The list of people who think Marcus Smart is going to be a center on the Celtics team continues to grow. Jake King wrote about small ball today. Pina, of course, is going to join us at some point in the next week to talk about this lineup possibility for this team. Jared Weiss is in favor. I've been on the boat for about a month now. And all of a sudden, we see Team USA playing wings at center. Harrison Barnes getting the run at center, going super-duper small because center just doesn't work on this team when Mason Plumlee's your backup. I look at the Celtics with Ennis Cantor, Daniel Tice, and Vincent Poirier, who I have to get into some film with as well from this tournament. And I say sometimes that cast of characters just isn't going to work. So we're going to see Smart out there. And how well is that going to go? It hasn't gone well for this USA team. I think it could fare better in the NBA. I, I trust it for short spurts a game, maybe 8 to 10 minutes. You guys are all crazy. Crazy, crazy, crazy. Marcus Smart is 6'3". He is not going to be playing center, even for stretches. I will, I will bet anyone a dinner that this is not happening. They have four centers on the team and, Gar and Grant Williams who can play small ball five. Why would you put one of your smallest guys on on your team at center? I know we have the highlights of him stopping Paul Millsap. Oh, there it is. That's what I was going to mention. We've had some. We've seen him have some possessions against Kristaps Porzingis. But you guys, being able to defend someone in a post up situation is completely different than having to box out a six ten seven foot person consistently every single time. It's so much different 
when you have to actually protect the rim. Like, these are things where you look at where it's like you really need to have size on the court. And I don't, again, I don't think it's an, it's by coincidence that the Celtics have four centers on the roster. And it might be five if Taco Fall makes a team. They want to play big. They're going to use all of these guys. I do not, I just think we're leading ourselves to a lot of disappointment. And you actually, if we actually think a 6'3 guy, Marcus Smart is going to somehow be a full-time center. I like look guys, it's not it's, it all, I don't think it's gonna happen. It all depends on Cantor. If they can find a way to shield him defensively enough where he's thriving offensively, thriving in the rebound game, and that's outweighing the defensive issues he has, some of those may be a little bit overplayed. I mean, that's just become such perception with him at this point that maybe we have leaned too much in that direction because he can't be the worst defender on planet Earth. And that's pretty much what people make him out to be. So maybe he ends up becoming a 25-minute-a-game guy. If he's really bad on defense, and that's becoming a hard thing for them to link together out there, I know they love Tice. I know some of these lower-level centers deserve a chance early on in the year, especially Rob Williams, who I just have no clue what to expect from from a minute standpoint on his end this year. They have possibilities out there, going super-duper small, and I— I, I see the USA doing it, and I think that the Celtics would be in their right mind. Popovich and Stevens are so similar as coaches that they'd give it a shot. And that doesn't mean Smart always defending the five. Maybe Tatum sliding over and defending that spot. It's never going to happen against Andre Drummond or someone of that degree. But the other team's going small. Maybe they're playing a typical four guy at the five. Sabonis and in Indiana, maybe I, that's a bad example because they go too big so much. I'm just trying to think of one. There's going to be some this year. Rockets, P.J. Tucker. Yeah, the Rockets are the big one. That's a really good example right there. I mean, so what have you thought of Team USA and how they've done it so far? The way they handle the pick and roll has been so bad that I'm actually seeing Pop use zone more and more and more. And usually with our athleticism, that's not something we have to rely on. That's usually something that other teams have to do to stop the USA. But now USA, because of just you know, just very bad, like, help side defense and communication. We Even we have to rely on two, three zones. And I'm not going to – and don't be surprised if on Saturday you see USA mostly come out in a zone against Giannis because they can't trust, like, their team as a whole to kind of, like, come together and defend us five. I like like the way Brazil did to shut down Giannis. So that part – is concerning. It'll be interesting to see them not have the best player on the floor either. That is going to be a wild difference because to see Osman in the middle of a team system really wreck them up inside. They haven't just given the ball to Giannis and letting him go wild. They've been spreading it around. They've been using their shooters to great detriment against Brazil. They lost that game because of how they've approached things over there. But they are very team-oriented despite having the MVP of the NBA on their team. So those two layers of things, the talent difference and the way Greece approaches things. Could this be the end of the line for USA on Saturday? No, it is it will be for Greece though, which adds a which adds a really interesting wrinkle. This is actually an elimination game for Greece because they have already lost the game, but it's not for the USA because they were undefeated. So on top of that, we we might be without Tatum, we might be without Marcus Smart. And we're playing against a team that knows they have to win in order to survive where we don't have that type of pressure coming in to this game. So buckle up. Saturday can be very interesting. 
They they will have a full day of massive media hype, though, if they do lose that game. That's right. The group stage goes on another round. USA gets Brazil on Saturday. Uh, not Brazil. Greece on Saturday. Brazil is Monday. Yes. All right. We'll catch up after that. We'll talk to Michael Pina next week. If we can get him on the mic, he's been around the country. He's been doing his thing. He wrote about small ball. So we're going to blow up the room with some more talk about that next week. Alex, good to be back. I can smell training camp. And we'll get to hear from Brad Stevens again, I assume. Sounds like Tatum's okay. We'll keep an eye on Marcus Smart's quad injury, which kept him out today. And we will talk to you early next week.